Good morning, and welcome to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. Today is Saturday, October 1st, 2022, which is hard to believe, to be honest. It's already October. My name is David Canfield, and I'll be your host for this hour. We are broadcasting live on the northwest side of the city of Chicago. You can visit us online at thechristianfaith.org. Uh, and if you'd like to send us a note with comments or questions about the program or about the Christian life in general, you can do that at notes at thechristianfaith.org. And to listen to previous episodes of this program, just click on the media tab on our website, and under that you'll find the podcast link. Or you can just listen to it uh, directly on either iTunes or Spotify. Just look up The Christian Faith Radio Hour. So this week, we want to come back to considering a topic that we began a few episodes ago on the meaning of life. Uh, and we, we began to consider that. Uh, we're using a, a video that we created to kind of get into this topic. And you can see the video at the website fourbottles.org. Because we use four bottles, soda pop bottles, to... Uh, explain the gospel, what the gospel is really all about. So the video is on that, that website, fourbottles.org. And it's a very simple video. It's only about three minutes long, but uh, it's conveying some pretty profound concepts. And that's why we're taking a little more time in these radio programs to to consider what these each of these bottles represent. And we started to do that, but then with the passing of Queen Elizabeth, uh, we just felt that we needed to uh, take some time to consider what it means to reign with Christ, uh, because really that uh, that was really a reminder of the fact that as the believers in Christ, we will be reigning with him for eternity. Praise the Lord for that. So so we took a couple weeks to do that. But now we want to come back to this matter of, of the meaning of life. And we've already discussed, uh, like, okay, to just explain briefly uh, the video, um, it's it's four bottles. And we've, we've presented this hundreds of times at... Uh, the local festivals here in Chicago, and it's always been well-received as a way of presenting the gospel. So on the table, we have these four four bottles, and the uh, soda pop bottles. And the first one is an empty bottle, and it says orange cream soda. And this, that signifies the fact that we were created to contain the divine life, just like the bottle was created to contain the orange cream soda. The second bottle is one that's just dirty inside and out. It's just filled with all kinds of junk and, and covered with mud on the outside. That signifies the fact that we became fallen and sinful. The third bottle is a clean bottle. And that signifies the fact that Jesus died for our sins. Because as we say when we're doing the presentation, you can't put your own orange cream soda in a bottle when it's all filled up with mud and dirt uh, and, and, and filthy on the outside as well. No one would do that. So just like you, you wouldn't put your soda in a dirty bottle, God would not put himself into us while we're in a fallen and sinful condition. That's why Jesus Christ had to die on the cross for our sins so we could be cleansed and forgiven. So that's what the clean bottle signifies. And then the last bottle is the one that's filled up with the soda pop. And that signifies how when we believe in Jesus, God gives us his divine life. So just like the bottle's fulfilling its purpose, when we receive Jesus as our Savior, now we're fulfilling our purpose because we have the life that God always intended for us to have. So that's just a simple explanation. As you can, even just describing it, you can uh, get the idea. It's a very simple video. And again, you can uh, uh, go out and watch that on the website, fourbottles.org. You can either spell out four or the number four. Either one will work. And just to, just to see that presentation for yourself. So, uh 
So that's what we wanted to cover today. And we've already gone over the first bottle, uh, the clean bottle, the empty bottle rather, which signifies God created us for a purpose. And then we talked about the dirty bottle, which talks, which signifies how we became fallen in sin. And so today what we're going to be focusing on is this third bottle, the bottle that's cleaned. Thank the Lord for that. Uh, but before we do that, I did want to add a word about that second bottle, the uh, the fact that we're fallen in sin, and the, the dirty bottle, so to speak, because we had a comment on Facebook when I, I posted the video out there um, and someone shared it out and uh, there was a a comment from, from one woman who watched the video, and she says, I, I, I don't agree with that. I don't agree that we're all, uh, we're all bad. I forget exactly what the comment was, but it was along the lines that, well, I think there's something good in everybody. And so, again, the video is, is very brief, and, and so it's, it's, but it's, the concepts it, conv it conveys does, do need some further explanation. So, in a sense, that's right. Now, some people teach what they call the doctrine of total depravity, and I think un people understand that in different ways. Uh, and we, we would agree we're, we're completely fallen and sinful, and there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. So in that sense, uh, for sure, I would agree with the doctrine of total depravity. Uh, but, I, but it's also right to say that there is something good in every human being. That's also true, uh, because... We were created in the image and likeness of God. And the fall did not erase that image and likeness. So we still have that image and likeness. There's something in us that desires to be good. And we're happy when we're able to be good. That's when we're happy, when we're able to, to be good and to do good things uh, and to live a good and decent life. That's when we're happiest. The Bible says the way of the, of the wicked is hard. The way of transgressors is hard. It's in Proverbs. I don't know the reference. Uh, but we're happiest when we're able to live a good life. The problem is because of sin, our, that image and likeness of God in us, while it hasn't been erased, it has been polluted and corrupted. And eventually what we find out is we're not able to live the kind of life that we want to. And sometimes, frankly, God allows us to go through difficult situations uh, to find out just how... Um, corrupt we really are, how much we need him. That's why he allows these things to happen to us sometimes. But it doesn't mean there's nothing good in us. We do desire to be good. And, uh, and, 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 and sometimes we do good things. But the problem is because that image has been polluted, we're not able to live the kind of life that we would like to. So when we say we're, we're dirty and fallen and in, in that uh, we're filled up with these corrupt things, we're not saying that there's nothing good in us. We, and, and to use the analogy again of the bottles, the bottle is still there. It was not taken away. The fact that we were in the first bottle signifies we were created as a vessel to contain the divine life. That not, doesn't go away just because of the fall, but it is polluted. That's the problem. And so that's, um, we want to be sure we understand what that bottle is representing in a proper way. But as we say, because we're polluted and fallen and corrupted, just like you wouldn't put your soda in that dirty bottle, God cannot give us his divine life. And that's his goal. He wants to give us his divine life, but he's not able to do that while we're in that fallen situation. And that brings us to the third bottle. And again, as we uh, always explain when we're doing this presentation, that, that bottle signifies that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins so we could be cleansed and forgiven. And that prepares the way for God to give us his divine life. But in order to have 
uh, a solid basis for our Christian life, we need to really understand what we're saying uh, when we say that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, because there's a lot of different understandings of the death of Christ on the cross and why he died on the cross, why God gave his son to die on the cross for our sins. And so we need to be sure we have a clear and proper and biblical understanding of uh, what happened on the cross. And that will give us a strong basis for our going on in our Christian life. So there's a couple of very fundamental things we need to be very clear about. The first is that the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins was absolutely necessary for us to be forgiven. There was no other way for God to forgive our sins apart from the death of Christ on the cross. Uh, Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. God could not have forgiven our sins apart from offering up his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And so we need to understand why that is. You know, God is he's righteous and he's holy. And he has a law that's righteous and holy. And as sinners, we have all broken that law. And that law uh, has claims upon us because we have broken the law. Just like if you break a human law, man's law, you have to pay for that crime. You have to, you know, of course, human law is not perfect, unlike God's justice. God's law, it's not uh, fully perfect all the time. You make mistakes. But in principle, if you commit a crime, you have to pay for that crime by going to jail. In the same way, when we have broken God's law, we have to pay that debt. There's a debt there to that law that has to be paid. And so God has a legal claim upon us. This is a, it's an absolutely legal matter. And so uh, Jesus, when he went to the cross, he paid the debt that we should have had we should have had to pay ourselves. He voluntarily took our debt of sin upon himself so that he bore the price for our sins, so that we did not have to pay for our sins directly. The wrath of God fell upon him, not upon us. And that's the basic principle of the cross, that there was a legal debt that had to be paid. There was a righteous claim God had upon us, and Jesus was the one who paid that price for our sins. And we always want to share a word of the gospel uh, to those because we we certainly hope there's some listening right now who yet ha- haven't yet received the Lord as their Savior. And I would say a very sober word, a very serious word, that if you haven't yet uh, received the Lord as your Savior, you know, your sins have to be paid for one way or another. God cannot overlook our sins. He has to uh, punish those sins one way or another. So if, you're, if you haven't received Christ as your Savior, that means you're still the one who's going to pay the price for your sins. If, if you die in your sins, God has to punish you in the lake of fire because he has to punish sin. But if you open your heart and say, Lord, I want you to be my Savior. I repent. I just confess I'm a sinner and I need you to be my Savior. Thank you. You died on the cross for my sins. Then, Jesus, then God takes that payment that Jesus made on the cross and he applies it to your debt of sin and your sins are forgiven and wiped away and you never have to worry about them again in that respect. 
uh, in terms of paying the price for them before God because Jesus um, Jesus paid for those sins. There's a wonderful hymn, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Praise the Lord for that. So that open that happens when you open your heart to the Lord and say, Lord, I want you to be my Savior. Forgive my sins. Uh, thank you. You paid the debt on the cross for my sins. And I just accept that payment so I can be forgiven. I can be born again in Jesus Christ. And my sins will be wiped away forever. And I know that forever I'll be a child of God. Praise the Lord. So uh, if you haven't yet had that experience of being born again, of trusting Christ as your Savior, I urge you to do that right now. We never know how much time we have. Do it today. Don't wait. Open your heart and believe in the Lord as your Savior. So like, yeah, we always like to encourage people to, to, to have that uh, transaction with the Lord so that their sins are forgiven and they're born again in Christ. But so now we want to come back to really consider the theology of the cross a little bit more because, it's, as I say, it's crucial to have a proper understanding of this. And I'll never forget uh, when I first uh, began to hear about, the first time I heard about this, um, Jesus paying the debt uh, on the cross for my sins. It wasn't long after I was saved. It was only a few weeks. I was still out in Washington, D.C., and a brother and I got together for lunch. We were sitting uh, on a ledge uh by a sidewalk, and uh, he, he he shared with me about the redemptive work of Christ, that Christ took my sins upon him on the cross, and uh, he paid the price for those sins. I'll never forget that because that was such a help to me. It gave me such a basic understanding of what the cross is all about. So praise the Lord for that. And so, so we need to really, like I say, it, it's very, very helpful to have a, a sober consideration of what the cross is all about. And again, the, the basic understanding is it's a legal matter. We had a debt of sin that had to be paid. You know, God, he cannot simply overlook our sins. God is a righteous and holy God. And uh, he, he cannot uh, deny himself. Uh, the Bible tells us, I believe the reference is Second Timothy 2, maybe verse 24. God cannot deny himself. He has to uphold his righteous and holy nature. Now, some people feel, and uh, my understanding is this is what Muslim teach, teach, is because God is so great, he can just say, okay, I'm just uh, going to forget about your sins. But actually, no, God is righteous. He has to make sure his righteous law is upheld, and that's why he has to punish sin perfectly. If God did not punish our sin, there could never be any uh, peace in the universe. Uh, for one thing, uh, I myself would not have a peaceful conscience about my sins. If I commit something wrong, and I know I've done something wrong, the only way I can have peace about that in my conscience is if that sin gets punished. So if God simply says, okay, I'm just going to forget about your sins, I, I'll, I would never be peaceful. I would say, my, how, can, how can that be? I know I wronged somebody. I wronged God's loss. I wronged something. And that sin has not been punished. I could never be peaceful about that. Secondly, there could never be peace in the universe because the offended party would never feel this wrong has been dealt with. You know, suppose, uh, you know, I, uh, I don't know what I did. Maybe I, maybe I, I injured somebody somehow, one way or another. Uh, and, and the person said, wait, that guy, this, this guy injured me. Aren't you going to punish him for that? And God can't just say, no, I'm not going to. There could never be peace and perfect harmony in the universe apart from God punishing our sin. And there's a saying, 
uh, I've referred to a few times before. Uh, it's very common uh, among uh, more on the, the liberal side of the political spectrum, but it's, it's, uh, this saying is very good. No justice, no peace. It is really so. And uh, yeah, man is not capable of working out real justice, but God is. And so he makes sure there is absolute and perfect justice in the universe so that eventually in eternity, there can be perfect peace and perfect harmony as well. That's the basis for that harmony because every sin, every injustice has been perfectly and absolutely dealt with for eternity. That's why there can be peace. Uh, so God has to, um, he has to punish sin in that respect. And, uh, and as I say, he simply can't deny uh, his holy nature. So he had to punish our sins. And the question is, how was he going to do that? You know, in the Old Testament, there was a system of sacrifices. Uh, they would bring, a, in the, the, according to the Jewish law, they would bring uh, some kind of sacrifice, maybe a bull or a, a ram or a sheep, and uh, they'd slaughter that and they'd offer the, the blood on, on the altar. And uh, that was, uh, that's how they would deal with their sins at that time. Uh, but the New Testament is very clear. That type of sacrifice can never take away our sins. It can never deal with, really deal with, uh, our sin problem. Uh, and, and the book of Hebrews is probably, it's, it's the best explanation of this. Uh, in uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 9, uh, it's, it talks about the Old Testament sacrifices. It says, according to the law, all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. That's Hebrews 9.22. Uh, it, uh, it goes on, verse 24, Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, but into heaven itself. And then verse 25 is a key verse. It says, not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. So Christ was not, did not come to offering himself often. Uh, since then you have had to suffer uh, since the foundation of the world, but now once at the end of the ages he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Um, Hebrews 10.4 It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. So these sacrifices that the Jews were offering, the, the Israelites rather, were offering, could never take away sins. Even though God told them to offer them, they could not take our sins away. So that's why in the Old Testament it's called, these were atoning sacrifices. And the great day uh, where they offered the, the unique sin every year, the unique offering every year, uh, was called the Day of Atonement. That was when the priest entered into the Holy of Holies with the blood of animals uh, to uh, cover the... the uh, uh, Ark of the Covenant with the, with the blood. There's a sprinkle of blood on the Ark of the Covenant. That was called the Day of Atonement. Well, atonement, that word in Hebrew, it simply means to cover. So you cannot take away our sins by these Old Testament sacrifices. What these Old Testament sacrifices did was they pointed forward to the unique sacrifice of Christ upon the cross. So in the Old Testament, the sins were merely covered. The death of Christ is different. It was a one-time sacrifice. The sacrifices in the Old Testament had to be repeated year by year. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying because they couldn't 
take away the sins. They could only cover the sins. It's impossible, as he says, for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Um, but uh, uh, Hebrews, again, he goes on in Hebrews chapter 10, it says, uh, chapter, verse 8, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and sin you did not desire, but have pleasure in. Verse 9, then he says, behold, I have come to do your will. He take, uh, Verse 10, by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So unlike the Old Testament sacrifices, which could not take away sins, this one sacrifice, the one-time sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross has taken away our sins forever. That's why uh, John said um, in uh, the, the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 1, verse 29, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the Old Testament sacrifices could never take away sin, but Jesus, by his one sacrifice, took away our sins once for all, and it's over. And again, why was that? What was the difference between the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and the, uh, the Old Testament sacrifices that could not take away our sins? The key point to understand is that God put our sins upon Jesus. You know, as human beings, as men and women, we had committed many sins. So it was a human being, a man, who had to pay the price for our sins. Bulls and goats couldn't do that. A man had to pay the price for our sins. A human being had to pay the price for our sins. So Jesus took our sins upon himself. He took legal ownership of our sins. And there's a number of very striking verses, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, that really talk about this. He, in a sense, he became the unique sinner in the universe because God took all of our sins and put them on Christ himself. First uh, Peter chapter 2, um, verses... Uh, uh, 20, verse 22, he committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. So in himself, Jesus was sinless. You know, in the Old Testament, God was very clear the sacrifices had to be without blemish. And that signified the fact that Jesus had no blemish. He himself had no sin. He never sinned. Uh, that's First uh, Peter uh, two twenty-two. He committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Uh, Verse 23, he reviled, he, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. He suffered, he did not threaten, but committed all to him who judges righteously. Verse 24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live to righteousness, by whose bruise you were healed. So this verse, the Apostle Peter is telling us he bore our sins in his body on the tree. And so in a very real sense, he became the unique sinner in the universe. And that's why some people wonder, why on the cross did Jesus cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's a, a quote. That's a, when he, he said that on the cross, he's actually quoting Psalm 22, verse 1, which is, uh, a very, very detailed description and prophetic, in a prophetic way of how Jesus was going to die on the cross for our sins. And by quoting that verse, Jesus was saying that's exactly what he was doing. He was dying on the cross for our sins. He took your sins and he took my sins on himself on the cross. Uh, 
even though he himself was without sin, he took our sins upon himself so that we could be forgiven and cleansed. What a marvelous statement. That's, uh, again, that, that verse uh, is First Peter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Then uh, at the end of, verse, of that verse, he says, by whose stripes you were healed. Now that statement there, uh, the apostle Peter, he's quoting Isaiah chapter 53. And uh, I think many Christians are aware of this chapter. If you're not, uh, if you don't know about this chapter in the Old Testament, I encourage you to look it up and read it carefully. Uh, again, it's Isaiah chapter 53, and it's a remarkable prophecy of how the Savior would die on the cross for our sins. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but but again, it has this thought: He took our sins upon Himself. And that's, so this legal problem we had was solved because he paid the debt of our sin. So let's, uh, let's look at, uh, this is Isaiah chapter 53, uh, verses 5 and 6. But he was wounded for our transgressions. What a remarkable prophecy this is. This was written uh, maybe uh, about 700 years before the birth of Christ. And it's, it's telling exactly what Christ was going to do to deal with the problem of our sins. Isaiah 53, verse 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we, verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Such a statement. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. You can put your own name in that verse. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of David Canfield. Put your name in that verse. Then you'll understand what Jesus did for you on the cross. The Lord laid your iniquity upon Jesus Christ on the cross because that was the only way that debt of sin could be paid apart from our own suffering in the lake of fire for eternity. That's why Jesus died on the cross for your sins. So you could be forgiven. He took your iniquity upon himself. Just a remarkable chapter. Verse Isaiah 53, verse 10 says, It pleased the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Uh, when you make his soul an offering for sin, you shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. So he made the soul of Jesus an offering for sin on our behalf. You know, if I owe somebody a lot of money, uh, you know, I've, I may do some good deeds. I may be a good person. I may uh, maybe help some other people. But at the end of the day, that doesn't change the fact I owe that person that money. I have to pay that money back. So some people say, uh, you, you know, we... We, God, we can deal with our sins through our merit. We have some merits, or, or they talk about the treasury of merit. You know, this is a big thing in Catholic theology, uh, this treasury of merit. And, and Jesus uh, 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 had so much merit in every single act of his that he, he just applies his merit to our sins. It doesn't work that way. No, the Bible is very clear. Jesus had to take our sins upon himself. There was no other way to pay that debt. Our merit does not pay the debt. No one's merit. Even the merit of Jesus could not pay the debt. That sin had to be punished. It had to be punished. And the only way was for God to lay those sins upon Jesus on the cross. But the good thing about this is, 
is because it's a legal matter, now we can have the real assurance my debts have been fully taken care of because it's absolutely righteous now that my sins, my debt has been paid. It's just like if I pay that debt, before I pay the debt, the person can come after me and say, look, I, I want that money. But once I pay the debt, they have no more claim on me. To I just, no, sorry, I paid that debt. Don't bother me anymore about that. In the same way, because Jesus has paid the price for our sins, now we can say, my sins can't bother me anymore. My debt of sin, at least, cannot bother me anymore. My debt of sin is fully paid. This is an absolutely righteous matter before God. And so now I have the righteous standing. When Satan comes to accuse me, I say, no, my sins have been paid for. They are fully punished, fully paid for through the death of Christ on the cross. Praise the Lord for that. I'm fully freed from my debt of sin. That's why in 1 John 1, 9, John says, if we confess our sins, he is, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. He doesn't say anymore. He's faithful and merciful to forgive us our sins. Because now it's not a matter of God's mercy. Since the debt's been paid, it's a matter of God's righteousness. So we have the righteous basis to say, God, because Jesus paid the debt for my sins, you have to forgive my sins. You're legally bound to forgive my sins. It's not, it's, I can have that assurance. I can be so bold before God. And to be honest, God likes it when we have the faith to tell him that, to stand upon the work that Jesus did and that God arranged for Jesus to do, that my sins are forgiven because they've been punished in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord for that. And so we have a strong basis, a righteous basis for claiming the forgiveness uh, of our sins. And that's why Paul says at the end of Romans uh, chapter 8, he says, uh, what shall we say to these things? This is Romans chapter 8, verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So we can be so bold. My sins are forgiven, fully cleansed and taken away. Now, as I said before, Jesus took legal ownership of our sins. But because he's paid the price for those sins, now they're gone forever. So the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead is the proof that he has accepted the payment for our sins. Because if those sins were still on Jesus, he would, God would not have raised him from the dead. He would still be uh, in the tomb. But the fact that God could righteously raise him up from the dead proves those sins have been fully paid for. They're fully gone forever. And that's why Romans 4, uh, verse 25 says, Jesus was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Justification means I've been made righteous. He was raised from the dead because we have been justified. That's the, the reason why God could raise him from the dead. So we have a receipt, so to speak. If we ever doubt whether or not our sins have been paid for, whether or not God's accepted the death of Christ on the cross for our sins, we look at Jesus. We consider that Jesus is at the right hand of God. And we say, praise the Lord, my sins have been forgiven. They've been fully paid for. And I have the proof because the one who bore my sins is today. He's at the right hand of God. Praise the Lord for that. 
I can boldly declare my sins are taken care of. Jesus is the proof. The resurrection of Jesus is the proof of that fact. Praise the Lord for that. And so the writer of Hebrews, he says, uh, Hebrews 1, uh, 3 says, uh, Jesus is the brightness of the, God's glory in the express image of his person and upholds and bears all things by the word of his power. And when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Praise the Lord. That's the proof, saints. Our sins are fully and forever forgiven because the one who before had our sins all upon himself is now sitting at the very right hand of God in the heavens as the glorified Son of God. Praise the Lord for that. So that is kind of just a very very brief um, explanation of the death of, cross, of Christ on the cross and why he had to die on the cross and the efficacy the effectiveness of his death on the cross for our sins. And so that means when that death is applied to us, now we're cleansed before God. We're cleansed and forgiven. And we are declared just and righteous in Christ. And it's not, we want to be clear. It's not that I, it's not quite right to say he suffered instead of me. It's better to say uh, he, I was in Christ when he paid the price for my sins. Uh, it, it's uh, maybe a better way to say that because we have to have the assurance my sins have been fully punished. So now in Christ, I am fully righteous, fully cleansed before God, just as he is. Praise the Lord for that. And that's why uh, in the next program, Lord, will, as the Lord allows, we'll go on and explain about, about receiving a divine life because now we're cleansed. Just like that bottle has been cleansed and washed, now we're cleansed and righteous before God in Christ. Praise the Lord for that. So that's going to do it uh, for this segment. And in uh, the next segment, we'll go on to fellowship with another brother about this matter. So we will talk to you again on the other side of the break. This program is produced along with our website, thechristianfaith.org, to help address the need for a healthy word of ministry among God's children today. In the Old Testament, the Lord tells us through the prophet Hosea, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Our prayer is that the Lord, by his mercy, may use the ChristianFaith.org website and the Christian Faith Radio Hour to help the believers in Christ grow in our knowledge, both of our Savior and of our faith in him, so that we may stand more firmly for the Lord and for his purpose in these dark times. Visit us online for articles on the Bible and the Christian life and to sign up for our e-letter, which deals with various biblical topics. To listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab, or directly on iTunes or Spotify. And if you have questions or comments about what you've heard on this program or on our website, or about the Christian faith in general, send us a note at questions at thechristianfaith.org. May this program and the christianfaith.org website be a blessing to you in your walk with the Lord and to all of God's children, for his sake and his glory. Amen. Hello, and welcome back to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. So now we want to bring on Brother uh, Peter Dong from Naperville and uh, just continue to fellowship about this matter of the death of Christ on the cross for our sins. And so let's uh, just make sure first, uh, Peter, uh, do we have you on the line there? So, yeah, I'm here. Great. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah, you sound good too. We've uh, 
we've had uh, some kind of uh, techno technical issues a little bit lately, but it uh, seems like you're having a good connection there. So praise the Lord. Yeah. Amen, Peter. So, uh, of course, you've been listening and uh, uh, to this uh, program program about the, the death of Christ and uh, just what a wonderful remedy that is for our sins. And so I don't know if you have any thoughts just to begin with. Um, just go ahead. And, yeah, sure. Uh, uh, yeah, sure. I um, It was good to, it's always good to be reminded of the, the power of the Lord's death on the cross. Yeah. Um, I think that some people that they have a um, uh, that the the key the key part of it for our perspective, right, is that the, that gives us an assurance of our salvation, uh, and it's an assurance of our salvation based on uh, because it's based on what Christ has done and not based on what we have done, and so um, that's a that's a a uh, as in in our inevitable times when we fail, I feel like it's a. A uh, good reminder to know that that our behavior is not the basis of our salvation. That is what the Lord accomplished, and not what we accomplished. That is what makes us saved. That's that's really so. We, uh, if we ever look for anything in ourselves, we're just going to be discouraged. And I, one problem people have with accepting that I couldn't do anything uh, about my sins is is to just confess that, that we were helpless before God, that we could only come to God on the basis of his mercy. Yeah, really so. Uh, yeah. You know, I think it was at the Hindus, yeah. they go they go to the Ganges River to try to wash their sins away. And, uh, uh, yeah, even in Christianity, there's all kind of, people have all kinds of rituals and, and things for trying to deal with sins. Instead of just coming to God and recognizing, I'm, I'm just hopeless and helpless. I can't do anything. I have to cast myself upon you. We don't like that because that sets us totally aside. It just it, it makes uh, puts all the responsibility upon God. The only thing we have to do is to receive it and say, "Lord, uh, I'm just a sinner, and uh, all I can do is ask you for your mercy." Really, so yeah, uh, yeah. I was thinking for many people, I think part of the uh, the some people who who have a I don't know a concern or doubt about this sometimes make it feel like it's make I think comes from the feeling that uh, I feel this way sometimes that it's it's too easy, right? Like like that, that means we can get away with anything, right? you know, because then he'll, he'll forgive everything. So how could it be so, so um, independent of us, right? How could it not? How could it not depend on it, on our our actions? Now I would say, of course, uh, it's not. It's it's true that um, our actions do matter, and you have said before, and and I'm sure we'll say again, talking about how the actions of a Christian do still uh, have yes. have an impact, uh, do, do still matter before God, but. They don't matter with respect to our salvation. Right. So the uh, the fact that we uh, the the fact that we sometimes sin, the fact that we do things well, none of those are what are what are the cause of our salvation. The cause of our salvation is what Jesus has done, and because He's done it, it's already happened. And I feel like anyone who's experienced you know experienced even when we first were saved or first believed in the Lord, you feel, you experience simultaneously the the joy and mercy of the Lord's forgiveness, and also the um, the natural uh, the what natural consequence, the desire to live a life that is pleasing to God. Those two are not um, contradictory. In other words, someone who receives the Lord can receive the Lord's forgiveness without taking it as a license to do whatever he wants. And so, I think this is it's uh, important to realize it's not that this is the end of the of the Christian life, but it is uh, but it is the uh, it's the end of the story as regards our salvation. When the Lord says he, the sins are forgiven, then the sins are forgiven. 
Praise the Lord. Yeah. Well, that, that and that's the significance of his, of his uh, declaration. It is finished on the cross. Uh, he, he he means the, the redemptive work is completely over of Christ. Now, there is more work he needs to do in us. That's the inward work of conforming us to his image. That That's an ongoing work. And so, you know, we always stress on this program, there's always two sides of Christian truth. Now, we're stressing one side today, which is the death of Christ for our sins. And there is another side that does not relate to our eternal destiny. But we talk about this a lot. And in, in even these past couple of weeks, we were talking about how as believers in Christ, we may lose the crown if we're not faithful in seeking Christ uh, in our life here on the earth. That There's that side of the truth. So, but that relates to the thousand year reign of Christ that's coming on the earth, not to eternity. Our eternal de destiny is already sealed the moment we believe in Christ. Uh, he still has to work in us to prepare us to reign with him for eternity, but our destiny is sealed. So that's what we're talking about today is that side. Yeah, that's right, Peter. So um, we don't, we don't want to give people, because people can get the impression sometimes it doesn't matter how I live my life because, uh, like you say, Peter, like uh, uh, if, if you have the full assurance your sins are forgiven, some people could, could just think that. But God always balances his truth. And so when you see that, then I think it kind of takes care of that problem. But it does, you know, as you were talking, Peter, I was just reminded uh, because this is a legal matter and a righteous matter, we can be very bold sometimes to even to tell God he has to forgive our sins. And I, I've had that experience. I don't know if you've had, but sometimes I just feel like yeah. I've just completely messed up and uh, <laughs> I, I just have done, you know, maybe I was rebellious or whatever. And I come back to the Lord. I'll say, Lord, you have to forgive my sins. You don't have the right to give up on me because Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I think that kind of prayer is pleasing to the Lord because you're, you're exercising some real faith there. Uh, yeah, I think in my experience, uh, I mean, I've had, I've had some experiences, but to me, the, uh, the the declaration for for me is more often directed against Satan, um, which uh, you know this was something I don't know if it sounds weird to some people, but the uh, something I had that sometimes there is condemnation we come that that we feel we feel like we like you said I really messed up uh, this one is just so bad and that thought that this is so bad that something that can't be forgiven right something that can't be can't be dealt with. Uh, is a thought that comes from Satan, who is known as the accuser, right? Yes. This is what he does. And so we feel the accusation. Um, I find it um, sometimes helpful to declare to him strongly, even out loud, to say, Satan, my sins are forgiven. Like, you are a liar. My sins have been forgiven. And so that is, you know, in Revelation uh, 12, it says that they overcame him by the blood of the yes. Lamb. Right? Just look at so they, the, the believers, they overcame him, by the Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Right. And so uh, it is also a, a strong voice against the accusations of the devil when he says, this thing you did was just so bad, it can't be forgiven because you've done it so many times or because it hurt so many people, because it was so wrong, it can't be forgiven. Right. The fact is, no, we have been forgiven. All our sins have been forgiven, and this one, too, has been forgiven. It's something we can declare to Satan as the word of our testimony, and it's something that overcomes him, not because we are so good, but because it's based on what the Lord has accomplished. Yeah, that's that's a, a very uh, uh, powerful weapon, like you say, Peter. And, and if you go on with the Lord, you're, 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 always, you're always going to have to deal with these kinds of accusations from Satan. They always come in. And you're, I, I, it's good to point out his, his name means accuser. So uh, uh, that's what he does. He accuses us 
Uh, yeah, I was just looking at those verses when you started to mention that, Peter. He said, uh, uh, what does it say? Uh, he accuses them before our God day and night. This is in Revelation 12. Uh, yeah, verse uh, 10. I heard a loud voice saying in Revelation 12, 10, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Praise the Lord. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Uh, that's verse 11, the verse you were quoting. So that blood is a, such a powerful weapon. It's the only weapon sometimes we have for, for dealing with, the, with uh, these accusations. If we look to ourselves, we're going to be defeated. Uh, but when we stand uh, in the death of Christ and claim the blood of Christ, that's when we have the victory over Satan. And that's it's so important to take that standing, not to, not to stand in, a, in anything of our own. Uh, so, yeah, so whether, you know, you're, you're proclaiming that before God or pro proclaiming that before uh, be, uh, to Satan, it's a very, very powerful weapon. So praise the Lord for that. Uh, yeah. It, it, it made me think also of uh, Romans chapter 1, uh, verse 17, right? The, uh, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And again, it has to do with, there's a, um, it is true, there's an inward power, a life power that works to conform us to the image of Christ, but it's also power in, power in its objective sense because of the power of the blood, which is so effective in dealing with the enemy and dealing with his accusations against us. Uh, um, I remember reading, uh, Andrew Murray has a very good booklet about that. Uh, it might be called The Power of the Blood, I'm not sure. I have to look at that, but it's a very, it might, maybe it's The Blood of the Cross, I'm not sure, but a very, very good uh, uh, booklet about talking about the different aspects of the power of the blood for the Christian and how effective it is and how we need the blood. Uh, somebody, uh, Spurgeon was preaching once a sermon and uh, about the tabernacle and the offerings. And he's talking about his blood all over the place. And uh, and someone complained to him about that. All you talk about is the blood. Is like the blood covers everything. It's just all over the place. And Spurgeon said, yeah, that's right. We should have that real sense. Everything is covered by the blood. Praise the Lord. We're just, we're those who are just under the blood of Christ. Praise the Lord for that. So other, otherwise we just wouldn't have a way to go on. Yeah. Right, exactly. And I think that there is a, an easy, obvious sense, especially for those who, like me, were raised in a Christian family and were generally good, you know, didn't do any big screw-ups. Um, there's a general sense that, oh, okay, look, this is, this is like possible, right? I can, I can act pretty well. Um, you sort of get the sense that the, the blood of Jesus takes care of the little sins, and then you just make sure not to do the big ones. Um, I feel like it's a common, uh, a common feeling among, even if you don't say it out loud, a common feeling right. among many Christians that, that the Lord can take a, care of the little things. You confess that to him and, you know, don't, don't do the, don't mess up the big things. Um, but that still would, to, to do that is to place the, uh, the basis of our salvation on ourselves is to say that I can save myself. Um, but the Lord's, by the Lord's mercy, I feel like he bring, he's brought me, he's brought probably, I suspect, every Christian through the experience, the realization that there are things that we just cannot do, things that we cannot solve in ourselves, and that we cannot be the basis of our own salvation. Um, that the, the, no matter what we try to do, there are things that are, are that we can, that we fail at, that we cannot do, and that we cannot, uh, do them of ourselves so that we have to rely on the Lord's salvation. He's the only one who is able to save us, which, like you said, can be hard because you have to set aside your own ability. But the Lord did not save us based on our ability, but based on his love and mercy. But it's so important to have that realization that 
that we and ourselves are incapable of doing anything. You know, um, uh, the Lord said, right, apart from me, you can do nothing. And, and, right. and to have that realization is just so basic for our Christian life. And uh, mm-hmm. whether, whether we're talking about it in an objective sense for the forgiveness of sins, and again, I would say, uh, if uh, a person's listening to this program and uh, hasn't yet believed in the Lord, uh, hear what the Lord says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't do anything to accomplish the forgiveness of sins. And in a sense, we, people try to keep the law as a way of still justifying themselves before God. But uh, nothing frustrates us, as some brothers have said, like, like our, not, nothing frustrates God's work in our lives so much as our own strength. Our weakness never frustrates God. It's our strength that frustrates him because we're looking for ourselves, uh, for something in ourselves, and then God just can't do anything until that strength is really dealt with. And so, like I said earlier, he allows us to go through experiences, like you just said, Peter, to really appreciate in ourselves. We just, we're just hopeless. And that, that's a very healthy realization to have. Uh, but then, as Paul, Paul says later on in Philippians, he says, I can do all things in him who strengthens me. So once we have that realization in ourselves, we can do nothing, and we look to Christ for everything, then then we have the real power of the Christian life. And again, that's true whether it has to do with the forgiveness of our sins in an objective sense or with our going on with the Lord in a in a subjective sense and experiencing him day by day. Not easy. Yeah, not easy to really have that realization. It can be very difficult. To, uh, sometimes it takes difficult experiences to bring us to that point, really so. Oh, Lord, Peter. Right, exactly. Yeah, and... I was sorry. I was thinking when you were saying that, like there's a, um, it's 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 again. You don't want to you don't want to make it sound like the Lord doesn't care at all what we do because He does. That's why He came to forgive our sins, uh, right? To die to die to have a sin, our sins laid upon Him, right? right. Um, but um, I was thinking you could say, well, someone uh, someone I think said to me once, once does that can can Jesus didn't Jesus also uh, speaking, if not condemn, at least, you know, criticize people for their, for their actions. Um, and it's interesting, he does, uh, but he doesn't, but if you look, now I, I haven't, I haven't gone through like every verse to make sure of this, but in, I'm pretty sure his, his criticism is directed against the Pharisees uh, and the people of the law, and not against the sinners you were going to, but the sinners who were obviously sinners. The, you know, they were mm. uh, prostitutes and thieves and, you know, and, uh, the modern day, we would say, I don't know, drug dealers or something like that. Uh, but they were, they were, you know, they were the ones who were obviously blatantly in sin. And there's no word of condemnation there because he had come to have their sins laid upon him. Yeah. Uh, but there was, there was a uh, criticism, if that's the word, even maybe even condemnation for those who um, believe themselves to be righteous, who use the law to justify themselves. Then there was a lot that he directed against them. So from our point of view, the, the danger, the greater danger maybe than sin is that we would justify ourselves according to our behavior, according to the rules of the law, um, and not be willing to uh, accept the salvation of Christ, that, which, which, has, which we need just as much as the, sin, as the obvious sinners do. Yeah, that's right. The, uh, a brother said once, I appreciate it, you know, the bank robber needs a salvation and so does the bank president. You know, it, it really <laughs> right. so. Yeah, we, we, we think there's good people and bad people, but now we're all we're all fallen sinners. And and, and yeah, what, what frustrates the Lord is this, especially, you know, this religious nature we have. And you're right. The, uh, you know, you could point, to, I think, to a few places maybe where he he warned people at least about not sinning. 
Um, but he's, his, the Lord's severest uh, rebukes were for the religious people who were going to prove themselves to be righteous. And he said, he told us the story of the two who went up to the temple to pray, the Pharisee uh, right. who prayed, you know, I thank you, I'm not like this sinner. And, and the, the uh, uh, I think it was a publican, right? A tax collector who, who just, he just cried out to, to God. He said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And he said it was that second one who went, who was justified, not the first one. It was that one who just cried right. out for God's mercy. Uh, so we need to be careful, very careful. If we think we're a religious person, we're a good person, woe unto us if, we're, if we fall into that situation where we, we're trusting in our own righteousness. And the, the, the sad thing is so often man's religion does exactly that. It just causes people to trust in their own righteousness, even if unconsciously, even if they would never mm-hmm. admit that to themselves. They think if I uh, perform these rituals, I do these kind of ceremonies, uh, you know, I was raised Presbyterian. You know, supposedly I went through confirmation. I'm not sure if that was supposed to make me righteous or not. Uh, you know, whatever uh, branch of Christianity you're in, you, if you may be trusting in these rituals or performances. And no, the only thing that can save us is if we trust the Lord Jesus as our Savior and tell him, Lord, I personally, you have to do that directly yourself. No one can do that for you. We can point the way, but we can't do that for you. You have to open your heart and say, Lord, I want you to be my Savior. I just confess I'm not a righteous person. I'm not a good person. Uh, I don't want to be religious. I want to have that relationship with you so I know my sins are forgiven, right? Like the publican, like the tax collector cried out, oh, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Pray that prayer, you know. Jesus said he got saved, so I'll, I'll take his word for it, right? So even though he didn't, yeah. uh, he didn't offer a sacrifice, and he might not do all the rituals today, but Jesus said he got saved. So praise the Lord for that. Yeah, and, and you know, I think too, I, I'm just impressed this morning with this point about because our sins have been punished, we can have peace before God. If mm-hmm. if if God had a way to forgive our sins without punishing them, we would never be peaceful about it. But that's one of the joys and one of the blessings of the Christian life is we can realize it's not that uh, I've been forgiven without punishment, but my sins have been punished. I did something wrong. And just like a little child, their conscience is always much better if they if they do something they don't know is wrong, if they receive a little punishment, right? That's important. So you take care of their conscience. They realize now I can be peaceful because yeah, I did something wrong, but I got punished for it. So, so it's okay now. In the same way, when we have that realization, my sins have been fully punished, then we can be peaceful before the Lord. And uh, and that that's one of the real blessings of the Christian life, I think. Praise the Lord for that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's right. Amen. Peter, I, um, we're getting close, close to wrapping up. Uh, I don't know if you have any uh, uh, kind of final thoughts about this topic. It's uh, it's yeah. mysterious. I no, mean, I was... we, we tried to cover it a little bit, but there's so much here, you know. Yeah, just... yeah and it's true that we don't want to um, overly, what, I don't know, overly simplify, right, what is, is um, you know, what people, of course, have been uh, studying for a long time, what the Lord has done. There is, it is not something uh, simplistic. On the other hand, it is still straightforward what the Bible tells us, that the sins have been removed by, by uh, them being laid on Jesus by the work of the cross, and because of that, we have peace toward God, right? That part, that part is straightforward enough, and it's something we can take on faith without knowing all the details, I mean, yet, without understanding every, every detail of it. Um, I was thinking that sometimes we feel condemnation for something we have done, or maybe we feel like inadequate, like we haven't been doing enough. It's natural to to counter 
to say, well, at least, well, I haven't done that, but at least I have done this and this, right, right. to try and balance off some problems by saying, but here are some of the good things they kind of cancel out, right? But that cancellation is not something that God does in his his justice, right? The, The answer is not to say, well, at least I have this. The answer is to say, I am so short, but I have the blood of the Lamb. Uh, I have Jesus's. I have Jesus's forgiveness. Is what is the basis. So yes, I am. I am short. I am inadequate in this. But I also have. I also have Jesus Christ, who is the one who is able to meet the requirements. The one who has already forgiven me for that. So it's not. I'm trying to cancel it out with other good works. It's simply right. that uh, that everything I have is what comes from Jesus. Amen. Well, it just, just make me, makes me think of, uh, and this may be a, a good verse to close on, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord for that. What a, what a wonderful Amen. verse. What a wonderful promise. Be, when we have faith in Jesus Christ, we're justified, and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord for that. Amen, Amen. Peter. Thank you so much. And uh, I guess that's going to be uh, just about to wrap it up for today. But uh, I think a a good discussion, uh, a very, very serious topic. Thank you, Peter, for being with us. All right. Thanks for having me again. Amen, Peter. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Talk to you later. And that's going to wrap it up for uh, this edition of the program. And Lord willing, we will talk with you again next week. You've been listening to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. You can visit us online at our website, thechristianfaith.org. And if you have comments or questions, send us an email at questions at thechristianfaith.org. And to listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab or directly on iTunes or Spotify. 